We are a culture that is um, enamored with time. I suspect that uh, we all have numerous timepieces in our homes, probably numerous timepieces in the same room, right? Uh, you know, I think about the kitchen, there's a clock on the microwave, and there's a clock on the stove, and, uh, you know, we, 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 are, we, we do a lot with time. You know, we have, we have time pieces, we have watches. Ironically, I forgot to wear my watch today. Uh, we, we have clocks on our phones uh, we, that we carry with us so that we're never without a clock. Time is, is so important to us. We are always thinking about time. And uh, the comedian uh, Victor Borger once said that he could tell time by his piano. And his friend said, what are you talking about? And he said, I'll show you. He sat down at his piano. He started banging on it over and over again. Pretty soon there was this knock on the wall. And the apartment next door said, stop that racket. Don't you know it's 1.30 in the morning? <laughs> it's not just, you know, us individually. At the church, we think about time. You know, what time are we starting? What time are we ending? Uh, during, the, uh, pr- during the Fruit of the Spirit series, we were putting Bev's beautiful paintings on the facing of the back wall. And the first one was the strawberry about love, and it was right in the middle. And so that meant we had to remove the clock. And that made a lot of people nervous that we were going to have church without a clock. So it actually made me a little nervous. So we had a, we had a little uh, you know, alarm clock up here that we could see with really big numbers on it. And... Um, but I suspect if we didn't have a clock, at some point someone would say, wait a minute, time out, we've been here long enough, let's go home. We, we are enamored with time, and we're always thinking about time, but it's not just time. We also have a lot, we also think a lot about timing. The timing of things. We, if we're out driving in a city and we're able to make it through a few lights, we'll say, man, we timed that perfectly. Or you're on a trip and you get there when you want to. We say, wow, we timed that just right. That was perfect timing. You got here just in time. And we talk about people being ahead of their time. We're not just talking about clocks. We're talking about timing. And the Greek, there are two words in Greek that typically used to, to describe time. And one of them is chronos. And you can imagine that's the word we get chronology from. And, and it talks, it's about hours and minutes and days and weeks and months and years. It's those definite moments. It's definite time periods. But the other word is kairos. And that really is talking about Timing. It's not so much limited by an hour, it's just when things happen. That, that they, they come about when they need to take place, and they're done when they have finished. And it doesn't really mean anything about a clock or about how we measure time. It's about measuring the event, and it's thinking about the moment. And what I find fascinating is that we aren't the only ones who think about time and timing. So does God. In fact, you could make the argument that the kingdom of God is all about timing. You go back to the Old Testament and God says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son through whom all the world will be blessed. And Abraham's 75 years old. Sarah is 74. They have no children. 
And God says, I'm going to give you a son. Okay. 25 years later, Isaac is born. You wonder how many moments in those 25 years, Abraham said, God, timing. The Israelites go into Egypt and initially it's a good thing. It rescues them from famine. Joseph is there and and they set up camp and and they, they multiply. In fact, they become so large and powerful that the Egyptians are afraid of them. And so they enslave them and the people cry out for God to do something. God, come, how long do you hear us? Are you going to rescue us? Are you going to save us? And God says, you bet I am. And 400 years later, Moses says, Pharaoh, let my people go. Timing. The Israelites for centuries asked God, when is the promised one coming? When is the Messiah going to arrive? When is this one you've talked to us about for so long who's going to save your people? When is he coming? Timing. And they wait and they wait and they wait and they wait until a baby is born in Bethlehem. Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 4 that at just the right time, God sent his son. When the time was just right, when everything was in place, when the the time came about that God knew was perfect, Jesus was born. I don't know exactly what made that moment the perfect time. There are theories about the Roman Empire and that sort of there was this universal language, the the road system and all of that. And I'm sure that has something to do with it. But we don't really know. Only God knows. But Paul tells us that was not a coincidence. That was the perfect time. And when we think about the timing of God and the kingdom of God and the coming of Christ at just the right time, it says something to us about the nature of God. It tells us that God is omniscient. That God knows everything that's going on. Because how else could you possibly know when the right time was? I mean, you and I ask ourselves, we ask each other, is this the right time or not? I'm not sure because we don't know. God doesn't have that discussion. He knows. It also speaks to us about The uh, omnipotence of God, the the power of God. It's wonderful that God can know the right time for things to happen. It's something else entirely for him to be able to act on that moment without any restraints. And God does. He not only knows the right time, he is able to step into that time because there is nothing that can constrain him from doing so. Because he is the almighty God. And speaks to us about the the character of God. That he is good and loving. That's what motivates him to do all of this in the first place. 
God looks at us and he sees his compassion on us. He sees that we cannot do anything about our fallen condition. He will do it. And that's the, that's the entire reason that the baby is born in Bethlehem. The timing is essential. Now we, we hear that and we think, yeah, that's great. I, I understand that. The, the, the timing of God's important. But of course, the moment we talk about the timing of God, you have to talk about waiting for his timing. There's just no way around it. And we don't like to wait. It was 10 seconds. You guys are freaking out on me here. I know you're thinking, has he forgotten what he's supposed to say? Something not going right up here? Things aren't running on all cylinders for a second? Just that little bit of time. We don't want to wait. I apologize in advance to to the uh, physicians that are here this morning, but... You know, one of the most frustrating places in the world is a waiting room. I mean, we've given up all hope of, of, not, of not waiting. We just call it that. You know, we just, let's just call it what it is. It's a waiting room. <laughs> right? And it's not just, you know, the same, the same thing is true if you go to the mechanic. You know, you're waiting in your car or you're at the airport. You know, you're waiting for an interview of some kind. You know, these places, we try to give them fancy names, lobbies and foyers and those kinds of things. They're just waiting rooms, right? And, uh, you know, and, and the, it, it's, it's the most frustrating place in the world. We don't like to wait. In fact, we do everything we can to maximize the time we might have to wait. You know, you see people who walk into a place where you wait, into a waiting room, and they're loaded down with stuff. Because they might have to wait for 15 or 20 minutes or half an hour. So we bring all kinds of things with us to maximize the time. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it just belies the fact that we don't like to wait. But the moment we talk about the timing of God, you can't avoid the conversation about waiting for God. And that's the challenge of Advent. Advent is a time of waiting. We are in these four weeks sort of getting a a little sense of what Israel goes through waiting for centuries. For the chosen one, the anointed one, the Messiah to appear. So the question that comes to our mind is, why, why do we have to wait? What, why, what is it about waiting that, that God is so infatuated with? I'm convinced that we need to learn to wait because it's the only way we can learn to trust. I, don't, I, I cannot see any way we can truly learn to trust God 
until we learn and are willing to wait for God. If God gives us everything we want in the moment we ask for it, what trust are we really developing? God's just a vending machine. And, you know, you, you put in your, your money, you push your button, you get what you want. But God wants more than that. He doesn't want to be a vending machine. He wants a relationship with us. And relationship is built on trust. You cannot have any kind of healthy relationship that isn't built on trust. We know that about our human relationships. How much more our relationship with God. And the waiting for God's perfect timing puts us in a place where we have to decide, am I going to trust God or am I going to run from God? There are people through the centuries who wait for the Messiah and give up hope and run. And we do it as well. We're tempted continually to say, that's too much. That's too long. I don't want to wait anymore. And we run ahead or we run away. And God is willing to take that risk because relationship with us is that important. And he wants us to learn to trust him. And out of that trust, we begin to affirm and acknowledge that God's timing is better than ours. I think back to the 11th chapter of John's gospel. Lazarus is sick. His sisters, Mary and Martha, realize that this is serious. So they send word to Jesus, who is off a ways, these are, and say, could you come and help us? Because Lazarus is very sick. And Lazarus is one of Jesus' closest friends. Jesus spent, and disciples spend a lot of time in Bethany at Lazarus and Mary and Martha's house. It seems to be the place for, for respite for Jesus. The place where he goes to get away from all of the things that are weighing on him. And all the demands. They're close. And word comes to the disciples and Jesus. And I can almost picture the disciples beginning to pack up stuff and say, we got to go. And Jesus says, no, not yet. Let's wait. Really? It sounded like he was pretty serious. I know. So an hour later, okay, time to go. No, not yet. A few hours later, time to go now? No, not yet. Tomorrow? Next day? No, not quite. Two days after the, the word comes to Jesus, he says, all right, let's go. And they make their way to Bethany. And by the time they get there, Lazarus is dead and he's in the tomb. And Martha sees Jesus coming and she runs to him and she says, Lord, if you had been here, parentheses, if you'd come when I asked you to, none of this would have happened. And Mary comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, if you had come when I asked you to, we wouldn't be in this predicament. And Jesus says, I know it looks bad, but I've got something in mind. And he turns to the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes to life. 
And people all around that area are astonished at the power of Jesus and many follow him. Often the waiting, the timing of God is moving us from what is good to what is best. And somehow we have to see that, understand that. It's difficult for us. Sometimes the waiting is about other people. God allows us to wait because he, want, he needs to do something, wants to do something in someone else's life. And doing it in their life means we need to wait. I think about the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel. Jesus is walking Long crowd of people, soldier, Roman soldier comes to him and says, my daughter is, is ill. I, I wonder if you would come and heal her. And Jesus says, yeah, I'll do that. And so they're making their way along and a woman sees him in the crowd. She's been struggling with bleeding for years. And she thinks to herself, if I can just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. And she does touch him and she is healed. But Jesus stops the procession and he says, who touched me? And finally she comes forward and tells her story. And all the while, the soldier is fidgeting off to the side. Jesus, come on, my daughter is sick. You're wasting time here. She's healed. It's done. It's over with. Let's move on. But Jesus says, no, I need to talk to this woman. I I need her to know that I'm not just a vending machine for her healing. I want her to know I love her. I care about her. She's important to me. And when that is finished, they make their way back and word comes to them that the daughter has died. And Jesus says, have faith. It's not over yet. And he goes to the soldier's home and he raises this little girl from the dead. And something that the the Roman soldier couldn't have imagined happens. Jesus needed to deal with this woman. He needed to talk with her. He needed to, to, to help her to know how much he loved her. And to do that, it meant putting this little girl on hold for a second. But even in that, Jesus does something miraculous. Waiting is hard. Ultimately, the trust that God is trying to build in us is to make our relationship with Him deep in a, in a way, deep in a way that we can't do any other way. Paul talks about not just the perfect time that Jesus comes, but he says, out of the coming of Christ at that perfect time. It means that we are not just slaves to God. We are children of God. We are heirs of his promise. And we can call him Abba, Father. And I have in my mind this this picture. The word Abba is often, often put into English as the word Daddy. And I have in my mind this image of a little child who is so trusting of her father. That she crawls up into her father's lap and nestles into his arms and falls asleep. Because this is a secure place. 
her father can be trusted. How much more our father in heaven who calls us to wait so we can learn to trust so that we can experience him as father. I suspect that there are things that each of us comes with today that we are questioning God's timing. We're struggling to wait. Every one of us. Because it's life. It's the way it is in our world. We are wrestling to believe that God's timing is right and that waiting is good for us. Advent reminds us that waiting is not a curse. It's a gift. Waiting is a gift from God. Because in the waiting, we learn to trust. And in the trusting, we find relationship with God that we can experience no other way. So as you think about that circumstance, that relationship, that decision, that struggle, whatever it is, in these moments of silence, affirm once again your willingness to wait for God's perfect timing because you trust him. And feel his arms of love and compassion and grace wrapped tightly around you. Father, with open hands, we declare that your timing is best and we ask for grace to wait on you that we might learn to trust you more so that we might experience the fullness of what it means to be your children. We pray this through Christ. Amen.